Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams, niche nonsense, or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And live from Greater Manchester in renewed lockdown, I think, Dave Watson. Hi, um, but we're Cheshire, so we're all right. <sighs> yeah, you're in Cheshire. You live with all the, um, the footballers. Steve Bruce, you, don't you live in Steve Bruce's house? Isn't he your neighbour? <laughs> <laughs> He's a neighbour, yeah. No, we're, we're Cheshire, so we're fine. But like five miles down the road, you can't go out. Or stay in, or do anything, I don't know. But anyway, let's talk about football. None of us knows the rules, anyway. So, uh, yeah, let's get straight in uh, with the biggest news since the last podcast, whenever the fuck that was. And uh, the news is, in case you've been hiding under a rock, the uh, proposed takeover of Newcastle United after roughly 15 years of wrangling has not gone through uh dave how do you feel um okay i don't think i've taken it as badly as a lot of people because as i said to you on previous podcasts the thing that i'm taking away from this saga was that mike ashley wants to leave and he's now a willing seller so i wouldn't be surprised if we were under new ownership before january and it. I don't think it'll be the Saudis. Um, and frankly, the all the baggage that they came with, um, it was kind of you, you. Kind of like I'm. I made my peace with it um, because of the amount of money that they were going to put pump into the club and into the region, and the whole of Newcastle was going to benefit from it, not just the football club. But if we're taken over by uh, somebody with wealth substantially less than theirs but more importantly more ambition and more and um, more uh, invest like personal investment in the, the fortunes of the football club on the pitch then i'm that still happy that that Mike Ashley, sorry yeah. yeah 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 because i mean i don't know if you've seen it but the ruben brothers have released the, a statement saying that they're still committed to the deal and that if there is a chance of revival there they're very very keen to be part of it um, obviously, Amanda Staveley still wants to for the deal to go through because you know it, it, it strikes me that it's her baby and that she's had to like find the money because she doesn't have it herself and her, her company or whatever don't have it. So if if Staveley and Rubens are still keen on something happening, I'm pretty confident they'd be able to find another backer. And if a backer's out there and wants to spread the risk a bit, then they've got like a ready-made two ready-made partners available to them. So we've heard a lot about sports washing and we've heard a lot about um, piracy and we've heard all this stuff from the like the the anti-Saudi side of things and they're right, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anti is a, is a bad thing. But if we can get somebody in place to to take up the the line share of the investment um that isn't guilty of piracy that isn't a horrible regime then then great and if it means that we've got to wait another three or four months well fuck it we've been waiting for about 10 years like what's another few months i know it's frustrating because this could have been the thing that made us one of the richest clubs in the world or whatever but that's not that's not what i was after i wasn't after man city type 
explosion of, of like changing fortunes or anything. I was just after change, just just ambition and and passion for the club. And I think any new owner is going to show that initially so like the Saudis going fine we don't have to deal with all the bullshit that they come with let's let's get somebody else that's where I'm at okay well that I was sort of relying on you to be um weeping in a Newcastle shirt for the <laughs> <laughs> because uh that that sets us out as definitely uh, amongst Newcastle uh United podcasts we're definitely the outrider there um, because I know that myself and Paul, am I right, Paul, are probably even more uh, casual about it. I don't know if casual is the right sort of, we, were, we were both a lot, a lot more sceptical about. I'm conflicted, I would yeah. say. I think when the longer this has been going on, the more I've had it in my head that it's it's win-win whether it gets accepted or rejected it's hard not to be excited about like the amount of money we'd have and being at europe's top table being a rich club again but also all the baggage that comes with the saudis makes it mean if it doesn't happen then you don't have to make too many difficult moral decisions about whether you carry on supporting the team but i just i don't know i I feel like I don't understand Newcastle fans at the minute, but then I'm basing that on Twitter because there seems to be, from what I can understand, the PIF pulled out, which has led a lot of people to in no way, like people seem to have not realised that's what's happened. Everyone seems to be saying that it's all the Premier League's fault. And the Premier League definitely do have some blame to take because they've, just procrastinated and prevaricated over this deal for months when they should have made a decision. But people are painting the buying side as kind of heroes who've been wronged in some way over this, rather than the people who stopped the deal and said in their statement when they stopped it, it's because it doesn't, because of the coronavirus and other ongoing things, it's not a commercial, commercially viable opportunity anymore. So I don't know. I just feel like there's. I don't really understand how I feel. Uh, and also, it would seem that uh, I definitely agree that the Premier League didn't want to make a decision, and that has been annoying in of itself. Mm. They needed to take responsibility, but also PIF have a lot to blame because they are. There's a reason why it took so long. Yeah. And I perhaps I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the reason uh, the Premier League were prevaricating was not because of some desire to stop Newcastle United progressing or becoming a rich football club. I don't think the Premier League wanted to stop that for that reason. I think that they were in a situation that was it was a difficult deal to ratify because it was essentially, they were essentially, essentially the party that wanted to buy Newcastle United, a Premier League football club, was effectively stealing from the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that the the big the big thing for me with the from the Premier League side of things is that the 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 human rights issues is is almost irrelevant. It's it's purely about the piracy. That's the only thing the Premier League cared about was protecting their product, which is fair and right and just. I think the issue for me is the with the the report, like the, the quote from Amanda Stadley, where she was saying they the Premier League wanted um, essentially the Saudi state to be named as a director of Newcastle United Football Club. And that that rankles a little bit because the, what the, what the prime Premier League is saying is like, well, we don't believe the PIF and KSA are separate entities. We believe this Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and PIF they're, they're one and the same. And Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has been stealing our product, so we want you know we want them to be responsible. We want them to have 
uh, like um, uh, liability when it comes to owning a football club. I think it's and even slightly me, vaguer than that as well because it's it's the WTO thing was Saudi Arabia have been facilitating stealing, so it's it's even one step further removed in the blame, which I think is why they couldn't deliver an outright no. Hmm. They, but what rankles for me is that if if you want if you if you're saying that the um, uh, we have to have the, the state because essentially the the uh, Mohammed bin Salman is the state. Like if that's if that's their take, it's like the he's a he's a chairman of the PIF and he's the deputy prime minister of, of the state. So they are one and the same thing. You can't you can't separate them. Well, if that's the case, why is Sheikh um, Mansour of Man City, who is also deputy prime minister of the UAE, why isn't the UAE? instructed to be named as a director. Now, the UAE haven't been guilty of piracy or facilitating piracy or not doing enough to stop it, whereas the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia have been. But it's, you should have to um, apply the same rules. Like, even if even if UAE is completely innocent of any piracy, and I'm sure they are, then you can't, you can't say, well... Because you're guilty of something, we're linking the the deputy prime minister and the chairman of the the two things. Where they are one and the same thing, so you you're there. But because you're innocent, we're not going to do the same thing. Either deputy prime ministers and chairman are the state; they are the same thing, or they're not. You can't have one rule for one, one rule for the other. That's that's my bugbear. But I don't begrudge the Premier League set using the piracy. Um, using the sale of Newcastle United Football Club as leverage to resolve the piracy issue. I don't have a problem with that. And I think the buying side have fucked up massively on in several steps. A, by not um, expecting it and, and dealing with it before the, the deal goes through. Like They, they knew what the WTO findings were going to be. So why not say, in their bid for Newcastle United, um, these are the steps we're taking to, to crack down on piracy. Oh, this WTO thing's come out and said that you're guilty. Well, yeah, but we've already told you that we're dealing with the piracy, and here's the things that we've done to deal with it. Also, like banning BN in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, meaning that nobody in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia can watch the Premier League legally, that, the timing of that was fucking mental because it was it felt really close up until that point. And as soon as that ban went in, you, you just thought, Right, well, unless the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia can buy the rights for their own country and make it separate from the rest of the region, like, and the Premier League's not going to do that. So it I was think just that's the bit handled by the buying side. That's the bit for me where any sympathy for the buying side falls down. The Premier League have moved the goalposts all the way through, and initially it sounds like the buying side were being prepped that this will go through easily. And it's only when Qatar... Mm got wind of what was happening and started to put pressure on that everything got delayed. But then the Premier League gave them such a clear open goal of like, if you can prove that you're working to undo anything with piracy and allow Bay in sport, and they did the complete opposite. You just, yeah, it's a lot of this. And I think that's a very uncontrollable side because there's sort of three entities in the buyers, like the Rubens and Staveley don't seem able to manage the Saudi side of it. And it seems like they can, they're always taken by surprise by what the Saudis are doing. There's well, it's all well and good Mm. them saying we're still committed to a deal, but the Saudis just don't seem manageable in any way. It's the same in all the other business ventures that, the uh, PIF seem to be in at the minute. I think you said on previous ones, Fergus, that they're just, they're not very good at this. I I want to bring it back, back a little bit because if I'm honest, we're certainly straying out of some areas where I feel confident with my expertise. Um, I don't, a lot of this is speculation and I don't, well, I suppose that's what the whole point of this fucking podcast is, but I don't really know anything about like the legal needs of it do you know what i mean i it's I, i've got no i've got no idea i can speculate but like when we're talking about different deputy prime ministers and whose names on the whatever i don't i just don't know <laughs> but it, I, mm. I, how uh it makes me feel as a newcastle fan and in 
sympathy with how a lot of Newcastle fans feel. It does bring up, one, the fact that this Mike Ashley era seems endless. And uh, I think as a everyone is united in wanting it to end. And now we can at least even include Mike Ashley in that. That's the, I'm kind of with Dave that that's the biggest positive in this. Before, sure, yeah, that never, it's never felt like he's a willing seller, and now we know he actually does want that. I feel like we're not being gaslit by him anymore. But mm. I, do, I, I do understand that that also makes this a disappointing moment because it felt like at least that era could be coming to an end. Now, I have my own feelings about, like, there seem to be a lot of feeling amongst people that Mike Ashley is terrible. Therefore anything that is not Mike Ashley is automatically good. But like it's, it's hard to comprehend that there are potentially worse owners out there than Mike Ashley. Mm. I don't, I, I am by no means saying that we definitely know what, that this, uh, ownership would be worse than Mike actually for the club in a footballing sense. And there is that feeling that you can't help but have of like, oh my God, this was our chance to bypass any kind of like uh, steady building of a club and doing something incredible like Leicester City uh, in the in the in highly unlikely circumstances, actually, at some point in our lifetimes, winning trophies. But this this felt like, oh, my God, it is possible that within the next five years, we could be a top, top club. And, and whatever the other buyer, because I do think we will be under new ownership at some point in the next couple of years, at least. Although I do wonder whether this whole coronavirus and upcoming crash that is going to impact every industry including football might put a stop to that who knows yeah it did kind of feel like the timing of this deal meant all the ducks were in the row for perfect time to be taken over by a very rich chairman mm. sure yeah i don't know i don't but but i yeah, think as well we've we get taken over by neck whoever we do end up getting taken over by assuming it happens yes they may well not be anywhere near as rich i think as well we football fans always project best case scenarios onto things so in our head whoever comes in will spend a lot of money and spend it well and invest wisely in the region because they've said they will look back at what people were saying when mike ashley mm, became yeah i think as well look at the judgment from pif in every decision they've had to make in the takeover they've seem to have got it wrong at every step. Mm. It doesn't feel the confidence of them as owners. It feels no, like they're, they're, they're swapping one clown show for another. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's, that's a criticism that we... It's a criticism we've leveled at Mike Ashley. Like we've always said that he, he's got to a, a junction and the the obvious and correct, like the, the one that's going to benefit us in the long term, he's gone the other fucking way. Like, Yes, appoint a director of football. No, not fucking Dennis Wise. Yes, appoint a, a, a respected coach. No, not fucking Steve McLaren. Yes, promote from within. No, not bloody John Carver. Like all the options. Yes, like, please. Let's yes, please finally spend some money on a striker. No, no. Or the opposite as well. Like, when you do accidentally get it right and end up with players like Ben Arthur. So yes, let's do everything we can to put obstacles in the way. Or like when when you when you do get a, a manager who knows what they're doing, don't replace him with Aaron Pardew. When or like Rafa Benitez, I'll replace him with Steve Bruce. It like he he fucks up all the time. And like you say, Paul, if if this bidding process is an indication of the kind of decision making that goes on in PIF then frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they went, all right, well, what we'll do is we'll spend 30 million breaking Jose Mourinho's contract with Spurs, bring him in, and we'll buy loads and loads of players for an extortion amount of money. And fuck, we've QPR'd ourselves into a championship. Like, it, it could possibly be that way. They, they don't strike me as people who make 
sound long-term decisions. Whereas the Rubens and Stavely, because they've been fucking silent, <laughs> they seem like saints in comparison. Yeah. Who knows well, how long I, it is? Uh, who knows? The thing is, it will always be the deal that could have been. So this will go down, no matter what happens to this club over the next 10 years, assuming we don't go on to uh, be challenging in Europe, it'll always be, for many fans, uh, a missed opportunity. And I wonder how long Amanda Stavely will stay in some people's profile picks. Yeah. Mm. I think some of the coverage about Stavely has been ridiculous as well. Like the sort of articles about her being tearful and it seems to be a real mawkish trait amongst our fans that normally I've only ever associated with Liverpool fans. It seems to be seeping in of just... Mm. Over-sentimentalising everything There's a reason she's in tears It's because she owes 10% of a non-refundable deposit To a takeover And she can't afford to just be Skimming £1.7 million away And would I I assume Have been in line for a massive bonus Had the deal gone Yeah I mean I don't don't doubt that Amanda Stavely Has some emotional I don't know, attachment to Newcastle United. I do believe that because um she wouldn't have she wouldn't have been trying to buy the club for so many times. She like if she'd failed once, she would have moved on to another club, as she did with Liverpool. She just moved on to another club and it happened to be us. She keeps trying to sell us. She keeps trying to be involved in the sale. I, I do believe that. I don't believe that makes her the right person to be involved in the deal to take us so, like, no, over. I, I think I as well, if she wants to make me think if she wants to buy Newcastle, stop letting people know you want to until the deal's done. Because that's what scuppered this deal. If it, had, if it had not come out, there wouldn't have been mm. the time for any Qatari pressure to stop it. But because it became public, that just snowballed. Yeah. So again, yeah. it's another like black mark against her judgment or whoever's judgment. See, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if PIF leaked it their interest to try and drum up, well, to drum up support. And and you'll have seen on Twitter yourself that the amount of fucking idiots who've had Saudi flags in it and who've put um, Arabic lettering... I feel like we should like, say at this just, point, Dave, your Zoom background, you do have a Saudi flag on your wall. <laughs> Not taking that down yet. But that was there before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it will be there after. Yeah. <laughs> but like you saw these like these thirsty dads on Twitter like getting in touch like responding to tweets from this account. Uh, Did you uh, say Kate thirsty Stewart. dads? Thirsty, what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, like you know, I don't know how to describe it. Um, like just trying to wheedle their way into like some woman on Twitter's like mentions and everything, like basically sliding uh, into her DMs because they're like, oh, it's a girl who likes the same kind of things that I do. Therefore, I must just be like... It, it, I'm a dad and I'm quite thirsty. Am I a thirsty yeah, dad? So what were the thirsty dads doing? I just like to say an awesome sounding Euro pop single would be the Ruben Brothers featuring Thirsty Dads. <laughs> okay, you're listening to Thirsty da- the Thirsty Dads podcast. <laughs> uh, Hang on, let's yeah, go a quick sip. <laughs> oh, that's that's the best thing. So what were the Thirsty Dads doing? Who, who's my- So there was an account um, that is quite popular on, uh, during this process called Kate Stewart. I think it was like at Kate Stewart 22. And if you look through the timeline, it was, it, A, didn't exist up until the, the takeover. And it was, it was purely positive about Saudi Arabia um, and Newcastle United. And that's all it talked about is just those two topics. And they were always retweeting everything positive and they were always um, retweeting anything that called into question the, the validity of the claims against the, the piracy committed by KSI. Do you have like a just red this, rose avatar? Not, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the one. And, I was supposed to be so, meeting her. <laughs> Tell me she's a bot. <laughs> she's a propaganda account. She's a propaganda I like the account. idea that when they were... When you, when they were trying to get this deal through, and when they were going through the public relations for it, you know they were like, "We need some social media activity." Uh, 
if, we, if we're going to, we want to get the Newcastle fans on side, which means that we really need to uh, win over the key demographic of thirsty dads. <laughs> <laughs> we put together this composite. Of, uh, the algorithm has made a woman. <laughs> we've, we've made a woman that will appeal to thirsty dads. But, I mean, to be fair, I've sent her eight grand, which <laughs> seems I'm not going to see again. <laughs> Kate, if you're listening, I still believe you're real. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's bizarre. This whole thing is the, like a propaganda account, the, the, like people retweeting like bizarre, unheard of journalists from, you know, journalists in inverted commas from Saudi Arabia saying this is the type of player that we're going to be signing. This, like, the accounts, again, brand new, never talked about anything before in its in its existence, and suddenly it's just NUFC, NUFC, NUFC. It, like, it is geopolitical chicanery on Twitter. I don't want any of that shit. I'd rather be bought out by this mythical Henry Maurice, even though yeah. there's now fucking rumours that he's involved in fraud. Oh, it's just just a mess. Why couldn't we be bought out by, I don't know, Delia Smith? Who? I think even like, you look at... I was, gonna, I, was thinking, I was thinking, who the fuck is he going to come up with <laughs> as, as a desirable, likeable football club owner? And to be to fair play to you, he did manage to come up with a TV chef. I think looking at like this week, I think Villa's owners came out of the statement about how they're going to invest and how they want to grow the club. You just think there are there's a lot of clubs out there with owners who are not absolute arseholes that do seem to know how to get it right. I think as fans of Newcastle, it's probably a good time to take a step back and just look at this all. And so often. Newcastle fans have said, what is it? We don't demand a team that wins. We demand a club that tries. Suddenly, the option has come along and everyone's had these fancies about becoming one of the richest clubs in the world. And now it's gone, it's got to be Mike Ashley or them. I think there is a much better middle ground where we have owners with money who aren't seemingly awful at business and aren't torturers and all of that who can grow us to the size of club we should be we shouldn't get I mean, into the trap of thinking this is a once in a lifetime deal mike ashley will yeah. go yeah mike ashley will go and if you look at like the the owners of the owners and the decision makers at brighton southampton um uh, to a lesser degree owners of like um trying to think of it, like Bournemouth, I know they went down, but like those kind of owners who are like, no, we've got a plan, we're going to stick to the plan, we're going to invest in the youth because it's a conveyor belt, not just for the players that turn up uh, and fit into our first 11, but also we can sell them for 250 grand to to crew, so we'll make enough money to fund, like that kind of joined up thinking, our next manager is going to be somebody who plays a similar style to our existing manager, who, if they're successful, will be poached by a bigger club. Like, just joined up thinking, just thinking short term, medium, and long term instead of Mike Ashley's, which is, well, as long as we finish 17th and not like PIF, which is a fucking shit show, to be fair. Like, it would be just, nice to be at a club where every major appointment doesn't have a rumour around them being appointed because of something that happened in a casino. That's all we ask for. <laughs> yeah. um, Shall we take an ad break? Yes, I think, I think uh, it would and be... I, I'm a, as a thirsty dad, I'd quite like to go and get another can. Before. Okay, it, I think it would be a, a good time to take an ad break, but I do want to say again um, to the listeners who have managed to listen this long, we're not trying to be the Katie Hopkins of uh, uh, football podcasts just by being contrarian. Uh, I do completely empathise with how frustrating Mike Ashley's regime has been and how we all want to come, it to come to an end. But hopefully maybe you might see this as a positive side. Um, all right. Uh, we'll have a quick break. And, um, yeah. All right. <laughs>
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. So, uh, I was just telling the guys that... uh, Last night, I won four trophies with Ipswich Town Football Club uh, in the year 2046, I think, with our football manager. But enough about me. I mean, we changed subject midway through that anecdote while we weren't recording, which I thought would have been a clue as to how interested we were. (laughs) I just wanted to like... It's really good. It's impressive. It's good. No, I just wanted any opportunity to announce the biggest achievement that I've done since lockdown. Okay, so, uh, Newcastle United Football Club. The season is over. We finished as we knew we were going to. uh, Safe. We did not get relegated. So, ultimately, I think we're all agreed... It was a success under the circumstances. Tricky. There's, there's a lot to pack in there. <laughs> yeah. it's, in a way, at the beginning of the season, I put about 30 quid on us to get relegated because I just thought there's no way we won't. Steve Bruce coming in, bad enough manager, and he's not getting a pre-season, and we've sold our top scorers. Under that context... If you offered me 13th, I would have taken your hand off. Mm. But we seem to have slightly got worse as the season's gone on. And Bruce seems, as every manager before him, apart from Benitez, seems unable to manage a squad in a way that doesn't get them permanently seven or eight injuries at a time. I think we've lost the momentum we had by going back to five at the back because of an injury crisis, which is probably partly down to Bruce. But I think overall, it's you'd give it a C mark, I think. Sure. Uh, it's hard to get enthusiastic as a football fan about the season we've had, and you don't really want many absolutely. more. Absolutely. I, th- I think, for me, the, the, there was a lot of talk about um, our the comparison between Bruce and Benitez. And I'm not going to get into that because I think you both know where I stand on both managers. Purely looking at Bruce's season, you have to say that, yes, the bar was set very, set very, very low for him. If he, if we managed to stay up, people would say, well, he's done better than was expected. However, the football that we've watched this season has been on the whole, fucking terrible. Not just boring uh, during the first part of it, but also unsuccessful. I can I can tolerate boring if it's um, if there's a cogent plan, if there's if there seems to be um, more than just a good keeper and good fortune that's getting you points. And I can deal with exciting football and I can enjoy that if it's a if there's a plan, if there's a, a cogent strategy and we're playing exciting football because we've got, um, like we've been coached to play that way. But the reason it was exciting is because Alan Maxman is a wonderful footballer and a joy to watch. And that's about it. Oh, we didn't, we didn't play good football at all throughout the season. I'm not going to bore you with stats, but you've all seen it in terms of the, the num- like the the number of chances we were creating, the number of chances we were giving up, it was it was appalling. And how we finished thirteenth, personally, I think that's as much to do with other teams having a bad season as it is to do with 
like any quality um, from from the manager. And I honestly think that next season, if we don't sign a good striker who can who can get the goals that have been chipped in by everybody else. If we don't sign a good striker, we will be bang in trouble because I don't think we'll be as fortunate. And Dubravka had probably the season of his life, and we can't expect him to to recreate that form. Um, I don't disagree with anything there. I'm really fortunate as a football fan in that I've I've come to realise that I've come to this point where I don't seem to feel. Or like even remember losses, but I get all the joy from victories. So I can look back on this. It's just like when I think about it, I I have to be reminded to just look at the actual results. Because in my head, like since lockdown's gone great, which is so not the case. But like I'm and I am the victories over. Um, Bournemouth and uh, Sheffield United were enough were so enjoyable for me that they were enough to make me go I forget that football games keep coming and you have to keep getting results as much as possible I'm like well, we won two games What's, what more do you want <laughs> like that's I just I was just looking back over the season and all the moments that I remember are the positive ones so I and, and you might say that there haven't been many positive moments but because they're all I remember, it's like I've got the Man United game when Matty Longstaff scored, and that was the first time we really saw Matty Longstaff. He scored that amazing goal, and we were so excited about the Longstaff brothers. More on them in a moment. Um, and then you had uh, Almira on scoring that uh, late winner against Palace. That was such a great moment because that was his first goal for us, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I suppose there aren't that many great moments. I think as well you can. Yeah, but, but just the joy of watching Saint Maximin, who in the second half of the season uh, did play a lot more. I mean, just having if you take Saint Maximin out of the season, I mean, I'm such a you know gullible idiot that I probably would have still found ways to enjoy it but if you take St Maximin out of the season yes it is unbelievably grim there was a point early in lockdown watching football looking for moments of enjoyment I was able to find enough in that season to get by and that's not a comment on Steve Bruce or like that's not me complimenting anyone other than St Maximin really but I think there was a point early in lockdown, I can't remember where it was, I read it, but our form with or without St Maximin, when he's not in the team, we were definite relegation form. And when he is in the first team, we were Champions League form. But we've, I can't remember us ever being so reliant on one player, which in some ways is exciting, but in other ways is terrifying because... It's a way of running I could a football see us, club. It's not healthy. No, it's, and I could see him getting sold if an offer came in of like forty million this summer. I could see us accepting it. Sure, I mean that's that's what we paid for Joe. I do completely agree that looking forward uh, to the next season, whoever we lose, and hopefully we keep. Same maximum, but I could see him going. And uh, there's other players that could go, but we do desperately need a striker. I completely mm. agree with that. Dwight Gale has got a few goals in the last few games and has been absolutely miserable after scoring every single one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Dwight Gale and Andy Carroll and Joe Linton are not a strike force. That I feel confident going into a season. No. The, th- the thing about Dwight Gale, I think the reason that he's got so many goals post-lockdown is he, he is somebody who gets into the right position, which we've been we've been severely lacking for the entirety of the, the Premier League. Like Joe Linton is not a uh, in-the-box striker. He's not a striker. He's a he's a like a wide forward or whatever. But the 
having having somebody who is essentially a poacher, I don't think Dwight Gale would have got 15 goals a season, but he might have got eight. Like he, he might have done. And I think I don't think he's Premier League quality, but he is a fit for purpose striker. And I think in in the in the summer we need to sign a striker and it, I think we've shown that we don't need a, you know, a, a, a Harry Kane or someone like that. We, we, for our fairly modest targets, all we need is a is a Salman Rondon or a a bit better than Dwight Gale. Dwight Gale. Like, well, supposedly, supposedly, instead of Joe Linton, we could have got Danny Ings. That's something I've seen somewhere. I mean, he does support Southampton, so maybe we would we've been fighting against that. But Joe Linton. Cost more than Danny Ings, didn't he? I think we were interested in Ings, but he chose to go to Southampton. Right, and I imagine he's on bigger money at Southampton than Joe Linton is with us, but I don't know. But who is now? Any ideas? I'm just throwing this at you. If Mike Ashley, and Mike Ashley makes a lot of decisions that defy logic, but if he really does want to get rid of the club, he knows it's, and it, we certainly know because of the, the circumstances in the world now and his retail businesses that he would really like some cash in the bank, which is a, a strong reason to sell. But he needs Newcastle to be a Premier League club to get the 300 million or so that he wants. Uh, so hopefully he is able to be persuaded that. We need to buy a striker. Mm. If we were to spend forty million again, who is there anyone out there? Well, apparently Batshuayi is available for under twenty-five million, right. which I think would be a good deal. I don't know how much he'd cost, but Edward uh, Celtic would definitely mm-hmm. be someone worth taking a punt on, or Callum Wilson at Bournemouth. Wouldn't cost only, too only much for getting relegated. The only the only issue with Wilson is his age, um, and that would. Put, I think he's twenty eight, isn't he? Yeah. If if Mike Ashley's still having to fund the summer transfer window, which he likely is, then I can't see us buying uh, Wilson because of his age. But Eduard, I've heard really good things about him. He seems to be doing really well in Celtic, and he is exactly the kind of striking that we need, which is a bit of everything. You know, he can, he can hold the ball up a bit. He has got a bit of pace. He is a good finisher and he is somebody who plays in the box. Also, um, Morales from Rangers, um, mm. mixed bag about him. And there's, uh, is it Shrick? There's a, there's oh a yeah, Shrick or Shick, I think. Yeah. Again, another player who, who plays in the box, another actual striker. Um, but all of these players would cost, yeah, like twenty-five plus million pounds. Well, anyone and fulfills the brief, who fulfills the brief, will be competing with other people for that same player, right? I mean, yeah. surely there's other people who want him. Yeah, um, it depends on what everyone has to spend as well in the current climate. That's a bit of an unknown compared to normal. I mean, the good news for us is that, like. Chelsea have already started signing players. Um, Liverpool, I can't imagine them changing their squad too much. I expect them to do more like uh, strengthening in depth because they don't really have, like, they're not just missing a striker or something. Man City might go off and buy somebody, but it would be. No, but then that brings them down to the clubs who we are in competition with, where. Where they are going to be under the same kind of financial restrictions that we are, whereas those clubs like Liverpool, Man U, Man City, Chelsea, they can go off and sign the the, the really expensive players. But when it comes to like Southampton, aren't going to need a striker because they've got a twenty-plus goal a season striker in Danny Ings. Um, Everton, they've been spending an absolute fortune. I don't know if they can still keep spending a fortune. West Ham can't really afford to spend a lot of money. They just scraped um, survival. So it was interesting on the Bashuari links. Leeds were the ones who were said to be after him most. There are different rivals coming up as well. I would say Leeds. If you were a promising striker, you'd probably choose Leeds over us with Bielsa. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And speaking of Leeds, I, I know Fergus, you were going to mention it in a bit, but like Matty Longstaff's contract's up, and Leeds are rumored to be interested in signing him. Um, so we could we could lose a very very promising uh, mm. midfielder for absolute buttons. Where if we just signed him on a like given him a contract that he wanted, we could still sell him straight away, but we'd make tens of millions on him. Purely, purely for his potential. Well, you never know. Maybe he'll um, sign a contract now, confident that he's got a much better chance of starting a lot of games. Although, Maybe. Uh, his experience under Stuart Bruce with Bentaleb and Hayden starting ahead of him and Shelby. Well, speaking of Bentaleb, it doesn't sound like we're going to... Um, uh, take him any further, which I can't say. Why did he play so much in the last few games? It might have been a contractual thing. Um, Maybe, yeah. On it. Like, yeah, but I don't know. But he didn't do anything to make me think that he, there was a Premier League player in there. Danny Rose has said that he wants to quite happily see off his career, his contract at Spurs. So it doesn't sound Not like too disappointed about that, really. No, I didn't really do anything. Um, I still think it role. would be would you take a punt on Willem's? Because I think he's the best left back we've had in a long Absolutely. time, and even with his injury, I would think Absolutely. there would be a very good price deal to get him. Uh, yeah. The the Willems that actually played for us certainly. I don't mm. really know the extent of his injury. It was obviously a bad one, but yeah, if there's a chance that he could get back to anything like that, then absolutely, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We need a strike. We. We all know that we definitely, definitely need a striker. Um, I think it's interesting on Gale, though, because he's... I think if you break us up into five at the back and four at the back this season, Gale was definitely a beneficiary of us having four at the back and everyone being a bit further forward. You kind of feel sorry for Joe Linton that he was... Because he was just left on his own up front, miles away from anyone, for the first half of the season. I think his beginning as a striker, might have been very different for us if we'd been a bit more expansive. But I think if, presumably the plan is to stick to four at the back next year under Bruce. So I think Gale is a very good backup option there. If you look at since we made those changes, he's practically a goal every other game. Mm. As a backup, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know why Andy Carroll got a new deal. Assuming (laughs) we do get another striker... In, uh, I wonder what will become of Joe Linton. I, I, I thought the logical step would be for him to go out on loan to try and. Uh, no, I, I, yeah. I, I see you play him. You play the new striker with three in front of him, uh, three behind him rather, with you know St. Maximum, Almiron, and Joe Linton. As, like, we as keep on being told that Joe Linton. Ah, uh, well, they bought him as a number nine, but really, he's not a number nine, he's a wide forward. But we saw him play there as well, and he didn't do anything there either. So He was I, better I, I there, like I would say. He was better there, mm. but I would really like to think that in the, next, in the coming season, he will not be a in the starting 11 in most games. I think the problem is if we were a fairly well-run club, you only have to look at like Leicester, who Slimani we took on loan. How much did he mm. cost them? Because that was a lot of money. But they were, they were sort of able to cut their losses and say, this is not working out. There's no point playing him. I think with us, you see it this season with Joel Linton, we've just gone, he cost 40 million. This has to work. We'll play him every mm. game. It's a weird sort of the best way of the best thing for the club would be now to to send him out on loan. This is assuming we do get someone else in to send him out on loan to hopefully do all right and regain some of his value. Because if we try to send yeah. sell him in the market now, how much is Joe Linton going for? Five million? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the market can be could be it's, it was the worst time for an expensive signing to fail because not only has he lost value because he's not played particularly well, 
but also the COVID situation means that all prices are going to be going down. So even even if he was like, I don't know, even if he was half decent, we wouldn't get forty million for him. You know, if he got like eight goals and it had been a, a middling season for him, mm. he hadn't looked great. We could probably sell him on for a bit. But now, no, we wouldn't get a. So I don't think he's going to go out on loan because I don't think that. I don't think that I, th- I think like Paul says I think people are going to go well no it costs 40 million we're going to make it work and the only place Basically, I can bought, see it working uh, is bought, attacking uh, the deal we bought a waterside uh, condo in Florida right before the subprime mortgage crash yeah and, um, I can't think of a better example yeah that's a great analogy so but you know if 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 that teaches us anything, you know, within 10 years, they'll regain their value. So Joe Linton, when he's in his mid-30s, <laughs> will be worth uh, you, know, you know what I do wonder is, is Joe Linton's first season for Newcastle United, is it similar to John Dal Thomason's first season for Newcastle United, where it was the right signing, but at the wrong time? Well, I always wondered that about Almira, whether... He's a player who is just not going to work out for us, and then he'll go somewhere else and be amazing. Almiron uh, seems a fair, like almost a success. I know what you mean. No, yeah, yeah. That's what I felt like in the past. Almiron, yeah. I feel better about him now. Um, Joe Linton, I, I, I would be amazed if he went on to fulfill his price tag anywhere but you yeah know, you know, he seems almost indistinguishable from Emmanuel Riviere he is for mm. me but he's young enough and and you know the people who who bought him do, do have a lot of bad decisions uh, yeah but they didn't just pluck the 40 million figure out of nowhere you know they're not they know more about football than I do and there is a I think as well, you look at the way he was played up on his own. Apart from Rondon, the last striker we had who we left that isolated was Hosselu. And as soon as he went to a different team, he's like he's been in the team of the year in the Spanish Premier League and has mm. been one of the big, biggest success stories in that league. So is that it's right? Yeah. <laughs> so it is, a lot of it is, I think, down to the way we've been playing. <laughs> I think. I think. Yeah. Still not a goal is scored nine uh, goals. But then he was ne- like, um, uh, like John Lennon was never. He should never have been bought for Newcastle United under Steve Bruce. He should. He should never have been bought for Newcastle United under Rafa Benitez either, because they don't play the way that gets the most out of that kind of player. Mm. Um, I do think that if you look across a lot of our team, you see uh, the way that they've been played this season has not got the best out of them. Like Fabian Char last season, like the season before, like the you know the eighteen nineteen season was defender of the year. He was he was fantastic. He looked amazing. Lejeune looked great. You you stick him in a back two and they, like two centre backs and they look awful. You're playing like Yedlin and, and Manquillo as as like full backs when really they are wing backs and they you know because they, they do like to get forward and and attack on on the right hand side. You stick them as a as full back and they're just not defensively capable. I think Manquillo's been had a good season yeah that's me and Paul saying he's had a decent season but like I think again we're setting the bar pretty fucking low. I think the only player who's benefiting from this style of football is St. Maximum because <laughs> the, the tactic, in inverted commas, is get the ball to St. Maximum. Well, I think yeah. in some ways that's yeah. fair enough, but that's also been our, I think from a pragmatic point of view, that's been our best chance of getting points and it's sort of been shown to be right. It's depressing. <laughs> well, I don't think that this, like the squad of players that we have, I, I I cannot believe there was not a better way to put all those different pieces together to get a more coherent strategy, to get a, a better style of football that got more from everybody, even if it meant we didn't get everything from St. Maximum. But I think you have to... He was curtailed a little bit. I you just have to believe that, that and just think we haven't had a striker, really. 
Like compared to last no, season, the- you could have Perez or Rondon could both play as a striker and had a lot of goals in them. This season, there was I don't know how you get any good configuration with any of our strikers up top. I feel like I feel like we sort of did as well as we could have hoped to have done. I don't know how with that group of players you get much better in the league or points wise than we did. I don't know if we could get better in the league because I think I think we have a ceiling that we can hit. Mm. Um, but I don't believe that the the way that we were set up got the best out of anybody. I think that we could have like certainly there were games where we I could not understand why, for example, we didn't play with um, any creativity in the centre. There were other games yeah. where we played with with just creativity in the centre and no steal. Where we were playing with a back four, where you had like you just, it was just mangled. Like we had like Emil Kraft playing at left back when he's a he's a right back and he's not like two footed. And it's just this whole the whole season there weren't any games where I thought. Yeah, that's how I'd set it up. No, but I think if you look at the three clubs that went down, almost all the strikers mm. on their books would have got in our first team. Which I think mm-hmm. when you consider that and the fact we finished 13th, in that depressing context, is a success. But it do- it's a weird one, because I think this season can be viewed as a success, but I have no hunger for next season at all. So... Um... I asked the question on Twitter, like um, just before the podcast, and said, "Like last minute, does anybody have a question?" And Jake Sanson um, replied, saying, "Asking what's our best, what's our current best eleven? Let's do it. I would put that to you guys because, um, yeah, you guys go first, and then I'll. What formation we're we doing? So I think it has to be whatever you like. No, Four, no. two, three, one has been the one that's worked best for us, arguably. Okay. Four, two, three, one. Goalkeeper. Right. Well, Rob Elliott. I was going to say Darlow. <laughs> no, right. Rafa Rafa. Mankio right, right back, I would say. I'm going Mankio, yeah. Centre-backs, Fernandez and Lascelles, easily. Okay, there. I feel that's a real shame. That's harsh, but only harsh on Kieran Clark. But that's amazing, isn't it? Because yeah. a year ago we were talking about a wealth of centre-backs and that Shar and Lejeune were the best of a good bunch. But Fernandez um, has been very, very good. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. Left-back. Back, Willems. No. It's Willems? Okay. Yeah. Oh, are we doing team of the season or who you'd have next season? We're doing... I think we're we'll, doing we'll, our current squad. Santa Mast. Yeah. Dummett's probably the only option there. Like Dave says, Krath isn't a left-back or seemingly a right-back. Definitely not a centre-back like he was played towards the end of the season. Dummett hasn't been fit for a long time, right? Is it, well, no, he was Danny fit Rose during lockdown, but wasn't able to be selected. because he, so left- he wasn't able to be selected, why? Because he wasn't in the He was squad. ineligible, yeah, he wasn't in the squad. Okay, right. The idea of Paul Dummett, who would have thought an imaginary yeah. Paul Dummett is our best um, option? Okay. Uh, by the way, I do like the look of Lazaro. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to. Th- okay, but okay. Midfield two. Probably Hayden and Shelby, but that's harsh on Sean Longstaff for me. Sean Longstaff has not had a good season. No. How about you, Dave? Um, I'd probably yeah echo what you said in the. I'd have um, Dubravka, Mankio. Um, I would actually go Clark and Fernandez. I'd have them ahead of Lascelles and left back. I'd be tempted to go Matt Ritchie just because he can get forward and and he can provide quality. But I think he's better as a wing back. So yeah, I'd probably yeah. have to go Dummett. Um in the centre of the park. I would. I would prefer Hayden and Longstaff. Um, yeah, than, but than Shelby's Shelby. our Even top though, scorer this season, weirdly. Yeah, and uh, on the basis of this season, I'm going Hayden and Shelby. But on the on 
the player that I hope he is, I'm going Hayden and Sean Longstaff. Yeah. <laughs> I think the reason that I'm going Longstaff is because I think when we've got Shelby in the team, he's very good at what he does, but what he does limits the options for everybody else yeah. because he, he plays a certain style of football, which is long balls to, you know, he's fucking amazing at it. But I think with, with Longstaff, we could play a, a more a passing game. Okay, and now we come to uh, where do we put Joe Linton? Uh, it's our Is he attack. in the team? Is he in the team? Okay, it's our attack. Almiron Is number he, 10. Al, right, okay. Um, uh, he's not in my team, Joe Linton. No, I'm going, okay. I'm going my three are... Sorry, I'm going for... My three are... Almiron, Saint Maximin, and Richie. Yeah, so and then Dwight, Dwight Gale up front. Um, you can't. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to buck the trend, and I'm going to have um, Joe Linton on the left. I'm going to have Saint Maximin playing wherever he fucking wants. Almiron on Almiron on the right, and Dwight Gale up front. I think Almiron well, at number ten has been said. sort of. No, because you didn't have Joe Linton on that side. I'd go St. Maximin on the right, Richie on the left, Almer on number 10, and Gale, or if he's fit, Carroll up front. (laughs) I believe, Dave, that you've just done with St. Maximin exactly what you thought, what you chastised Steve Bruce for doing, because you're saying he can play wherever he likes, but if... Uh, Almiron and Joe Linton are on the uh, left and right, then he's essentially playing in the centre, isn't he? St. Maximin. No, because he can drift either way. And no. the, the whole point of having... Yes, he can drift either way. No. And so if he, dr- yeah. if he drifts over in the left-hand flank, Joe Linton can move into the in, in more centrally. And if he drifts more to the right, Almiron can move more centrally. But ostensibly, those two operate in that in those wide positions, so that when long balls go to Joe Linton, he can hold them down. I, I've Either got way, I, I think we can agree. You can you can stick your ribs which wins up your pipe. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think so we this, can agree. This, it's one of the most exciting starting elevens to have graced <laughs> the Premier League in its history. That's what I'm saying. This this starting eleven that we've put together. Uh, each of us have put together our own ones, but w- where does that finish in the Premier League next season? Oh, 15th. <laughs> no, yeah, I'd say about 14th, 15th. I've I mean, there's always the assumption teams that come up are going to be suddenly really good. Like, there's the assumption Leeds are going to be really yeah. good because they're Leeds. Whoever comes up, I remember thinking that uh, at the beginning of this season just passed that Norwich were going to surprise everybody. And I, I thought Norwich would be like top eight or something. Yeah. So I honestly think that, that shows West how much Brom and I think West Brom and uh, whoever comes up between Fulham and Brentford, I think um, they'll be two of the relegation spots, be they 18th and 19th or whatever. Yeah. I think those will occupy those two spots. The other relegation spot could be anybody from ourselves, Palace, Brighton, could always, Burnley, Burnley could always be in that conversation because all it takes is one bad year for them. Um, Villa, yeah, I think if Villa West lose, Ham, what's his name? Peaky Blinders, Realish, yeah, yeah. I had a quick question for you, boys. Actually, in terms of tricky French wingers, talent alone, where does Saint Maximum lie? So that's him versus Robert, Ginola and Ben Arthur. And Tovan and Cabela. Let's not forget those two. Okay, I think he's above Tovan and Cabela. <laughs> and in Zogbia. <laughs> and in Zogbia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sylvain Marveau, Johan Gouffran. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would say <laughs> Ginola was better. I mean, this is all. there's a lot of potential going on with St. Maximin, so it's... Yeah. Ben Arthur was, was more beautiful. Ben Arthur, Ben Arthur had that same. Look ability. at the end product of all of them. 
Yeah, let me. Ben Arthur had that same ability to go past the player, but did it more sort of gracefully. Mm. Um, in a weird way, Saint Maximin sometimes reminds me of Gutierrez. I yeah, think he's yeah. a better player, and he is amazing. But he's got that thing where he he goes past people in a sort of like like he feels like he's always just about to lose the ball, but somehow still has it. More rough and tumble, kind of. A bit more rough and tumble, a bit more upper body strength. Mm. Um, but I absolutely love St. Maximin. And I, yeah. But I do love all of those players, and it's so hard. I think he's a harder worker than most of those that we've just mentioned. Yes, yeah. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And, and that sort of like perhaps unfairly put them higher up in the talent bracket in my I head. think he has the potential to be as good as any of them as well. I agree. I think the only, the only thing that he... So I, for, for me, the, the top two are Ginola and Robert mm. and whoever's first just changes on a daily basis. Ben Arthur, there was too much selfishness and there was, there was insufficient end product for his obvious talent. But... I think Alan St. Maximum, the only thing he's lacking is the the shot. The, all the other three had an absolute howitzer of a shot. And That's true. Yeah, uh, they were, they were beautiful doesn't. strikers of the ball and good dead ball specialists. Yeah. I think yeah. St. Maximum and Ben Arthur were both, well, maybe less so Ben Arthur, but playing in such a shit team that you you just get out your seat when they get the ball. Whereas Ginola mm. was in a team of great players. Robert to a lesser extent, but still kind of. They weren't mm. such... The team wasn't relying so much on them. Ben Arthur yeah. played in a pretty good side. Yeah. For about a season, yeah. For about a season, and then and then he was playing with Kufran and Marba. So, uh, we're about to run out of time on our Zoom mm. conversation. So, why don't we leave it there on a positive note with St. Yeah. Maximin. Uh He's our at the time of recording. He's still a Newcastle United footballer, and it shows that even in uh, dark, dark times, there are spots of light. So, thank you very much. Speaking of spots of light, my two little spots of light. Thank you very much, Paul Doolan. Thank you, and thank you, Dave Watson, and thank you to you, the Newcastle United listener. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.